0: Welcome to the first special edition of Monitor's podcast, featuring interviews with the 2023 Monitor Industry Icon Award winners. In this episode, we sit down with this year's veteran Icon Award winner, Bill Carey. Before we begin, I want to tell you about Monitor Suite, the content subscription service equipped for the equipment finance industry. Monitor Suite features high quality streaming series, including our blockbuster documentary series, GE Capital's Legend and Legacy which provides an in-depth exploration of the history of GE Capital. Monitor Suite members also have 24-7 access to our entire library of in-depth data reports dating back to 1992, early access to each digital edition of Monitor, PDF and Excel versions of our ranking reports, videos, members-only live stream events, exclusive articles, and much more. For more information, please visit monitordaily.com suite. Monitor Suite was a project that I started working on during my time in Cohort 2 of Stripes Leadership Program, which just happens to be today's podcast sponsor. Stripes is the leadership development program for the equipment finance industry, This 10-month program launches with a three-day intensive transformational program and also includes master talks and master workshops from notable industry and leadership experts, working cohort groups with other industry professionals, outcome-driven development sessions, and much more. Stripes was a truly transformational experience for me, and I encourage you to learn more about the program by visiting stripesleadership.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Rita Garwood, Editor-in-Chief of Monitor. Joining me on the podcast today is Bill Carey. Bill is SVP and Assistant General Counsel at EverBank, and he is also this year's Monitor Veteran Icon. Bill, I'm excited to talk with you today.
1: Uh, So am I.
0: Great, so as I just mentioned, you have been awarded the title of Monitor Veteran Icon, and that means that you've been in the industry for a very long time. Um, I want you to go back to the beginning of your career. Um, wh- where did it begin? What were your long-term goals when you were just setting out and how did you get started in equipment finance?
1: Well, I can't say that I had long-term goals. It was really happenstance. I got, I was working at a large New Jersey law firm. I got a call from a headhunter. asked me if I wanted to interview for uh, a job at AT&T Capital. And at the time, at t Corporation had not yet divested its equipment business. So AT&T Capital was its captive finance arm, kind of like a mini GE Capital. And I took an interview, I took another interview, I interviewed with the GC at at t Capital, Dan McCarthy. He hired me and he was in the process of building a really strong legal team. Because, I say that because many of my colleagues at the time over the next few decades went on to have very very successful careers in the equipment leasing business uh general counsels and leaders really throughout the country and uh, they were quite prominent so in a sense it's analogous to a a successful nfl coaching tree where a lot of the assistants went on to become good head coaches so i got to give credit to Dan for putting that together. And at the time, AT&T Capital was also diversifying away from simply financing the, the telephone systems that uh, its parent company was manufacturing. And that got me my start. Uh, uh, my first manager was a, an attorney by the name of John Chabot. He was a very bright kind of academic cerebral uh, attorney. Was very knowledgeable I would say on the back end of the business and particularly in bankruptcy and the nuances of, you know, some of the bankruptcy sections and uh, we, you know, I took the front end, he was on the back end and that's how it all got started for me. So really it was, and I think this is a way it happens for a lot of people. It's a call, uh, an opportunistic moment, a meeting, and you take it from there. Yeah, that,
0: that tends to be the case. I, I ask a lot of people how they got into equipment finance. I've been asking that question for about 11 years now, and I don't think anyone has said, I intentionally plan to get into equipment finance. <laughs> like, there's There hasn't been anybody yet, so.
1: No one yet, I'm not surprised.
0: Yeah. So you have been with EverBank and its predecessors for about two decades, according to um, what you have listed on your LinkedIn profile. What were your primary goals when you joined the company and how do those goals compare to the organization you see today? I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes over the years.
1: Oh, a ton of changes. Well, actually, at the time I received a call to help USXL, which was a startup, Uh, I had been out of the business for a few years. Um, I I think I left CIT uh, three years prior to 2004. Yeah. And um, I was working for a, a British electronics publishing company. Um, we had an office in New York and in London. And uh, I was I was in the process of maybe leaving that I equity stake. Uh, I got a call from Jim he asked me to come over. Could I help them a little bit? Uh, I said, yeah, I can come over a couple of days a week and help in New Jersey. Uh, One thing led to another. Uh, Jeff Hilsinger, who I work closely with and putting in the first kind of credit facility for the company, you know, said, Bill, we'd like you to work full time. Uh, We certainly could use you. And again, here we go. Uh, An opportunity blossomed into something larger. And I've I've been there 20 years now. Of course, there were a lot of changes. Most of the changes occurred as a result of changes in control and purchases. Uh, USXL was purchased by actually by a a consortium of groups called Tigris. Uh, That occurred during the financial meltdown in 2007, 2008. Everbank, whom none of us had ever heard of at the time, you know visited us and wanted to diversify away from their mostly residential mortgage banking backgrounds and originations. And uh, they bought an equipment finance company. Uh, we set sail with EverBank. And then uh, we then EverBank was ultimately purchased by TIAA Bank. Uh, actually TIAA, formed TIAA Bank. And now we're going back to EverBank because TIAA sold most of its interest in the bank to private equity recently. So here I am again come full circle 20 years. So, and also during that time, uh, our the, the it was primarily a vendor equipment finance business. Now we have many other businesses, uh, structured finance, uh, other bank businesses, but primarily that vendor business has ultimately become very, very successful through diversification and growth.
0: That's great. Yeah. I, I know I've been around for I've been around since the the Tigris to Everbank. <laughs> that's that's how far back I go in this, but it's it's interesting to hear the whole story.
1: Yeah, of... well, that period was particularly well. It was turmoil throughout the country with regard to you know really a meltdown in the capital markets, and it was a very tough time. To, it was a sort of time of survival, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to say that we did survive. Yeah, and I think Thrive. I think the equipment finance companies throughout the country did manage that crisis better than certainly a lot of the real estate lenders. For
0: sure. Yeah. So looking back across your career, um, what have been the highlights and which accomplishments um, are you the most proud of?
1: Yeah. You know, I I wouldn't say I have one particular highlight or one deal or one, you know, uh Sometimes the deals you don't do are the ones that are the best. It's been a continuous series of mostly transactions, large and small, buying and selling, lending and leasing. uh, But all along, either being a solo attorney at a startup or managing a team, I've been very fortunate to have very, very fine attorneys and professional staff with me and uh, in a in a in really in a collegial, always a collegial, close knit group. Uh, I've I my goal isn't sim- simply to like any good attorney to make my client successful. To do what I can to make them a success. Um, that involves not just funding new deals, but also managing problem transactions. Uh, People issues pop up. Um, of course, lawsuits are involved. Any person who runs a business encounters all these things. And legal plays a role in almost everything. And so I've really covered the, the full spectrum of legal issues that could possibly visit a privately held and a, at one point we were, Everbank was a public company. So I've really seen it all. Um, been able to work well not only within the legal department but with really all professional groups within the finance businesses with whom I have been affiliated with. I suppose that would be the secret to my long-term success in this business. Good listener, and able to uh, get along with people. Good and and uh, have a common goal, and let's get there together.
0: Simple as that. That's definitely something to be proud of. Not everyone can say that for sure. So, so you were talking about the economic downturn, the Great Recession of 2007 and 2008. You've had the benefit of living through you know, several economic cycles. If you could impart three major takeaways um, from your experiences with those cycles to, to leaders of today based on your experience with the fluctuating markets, what would they be and why?
1: I, I could think of two quickly. Number one, don't try and predict the future. Hey, even five years out, it's really, really difficult in a global economy to do that now. So be prepared. Um have a diversified portfolio and manage your concentration risks. In other words, it's the old saying, don't put all your eggs into one basket. Don't don't finance just one particular asset. I just don't think you can survive doing that. Even if you have such a specialty, uh, the way to growth is to diversify and the way to stay in business over the long term. Uh, So don't predict Don't try to predict the future. I also think that now uh, with regard to the electronic, uh, the way we all interact, the way that we can work from home, uh, the way that uh, deals are closed now electronically. Back when I started, uh, a large deal was closed Usually at a at a large law firm at a big conference table with all attorneys and their clients present for long negotiations and uh, and it would be more it would be ceremonial. Now they're quietly closed. Uh, monies are wired to fund the deal. Uh, electronic signatures are exchanged. So that it kind of more emotional aspect of m- my transactional business has changed a lot, but what hasn't changed is before you get to that, you need a good team, whether you're working remotely or not, there has to be cohesion. Um, and um, so I would say that, uh, that that's there's a third thing to be, to, to be mindful of, build a team, know the business. And I have to say right now, that the ELFA um, is a really terrific trade organization for this business because it really helps, it really helps uh, concentrate uh, the industry. Uh, you, uh, It's manageable enough so that in my particular field, I know most of the attorneys in this all around the country, inside, outside counsel and in-house counsel. The monitor, is also a very good source of information about competitors, about people. So it makes it easier to keep up with that, and um, you know. So, so there's some again. I keep stressing these are kind of fundamental business issues. There's no, I'm not revealing any secrets that I've learned. Um, blocking and tackling, knowing the business, keeping informed. Uh, don't try to predict the future and. Uh, concentrate your risk, spread it out.
0: So since you mentioned the ELFA, I wanted to kind of jump ahead a little bit to um, the fact that you served as chairman of the ELFA's legal committee in 2011, and you've been very active in the association. Um, from a legal perspective, can you speak to the benefits of the ELFA, ELFA's yeah. activity in the industry?
1: Yeah, I think it's terrific. They provide, uh, they, 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 they cover the waterfront. Uh, I rely on um, the for new for, for new state laws coming up. They're very good at informing uh, the lawyers. Um, the annual convention, it's called the Legal Forum. It's a great way, particularly, you know, I do want to make this point. When I worked at a large law firm, it was very valuable to simply if you encountered an issue. On which you were not particularly familiar, you just walk down the hall and ask a partner or a, or a senior attorney, "Have you have you encountered this before?" This is a case of first impression for me. Or go have lunch, let's talk it out. What can you point me to? When you're in house, particularly if you're the only attorney or if you have a small team, you don't have that resource. So you can go to outside counsel, uh, and 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 of course the way to meet the best outside counsel in this industry is through the ELFA. And that's where I've met all the best attorneys around the country. It's Once a year, that meeting provides a lot of information, particularly before, again, before you've got daily uh, emails on issues, okay? You learned about the important cases. So I think that the ELFA and in particular its legal committee has been a really good source not only of information for me but i've built friendships professional and personal friendships over the last 25 years through that organization and i I'm, I'm a strong supporter of it
0: that's fantastic yeah definitely can see all of the the work that goes into um everything that the elfa does you know illegally politically um so it's it's great that you're able to uh, be part of that for such a long time. So in addition to your career as an attorney, um, you're also a college basketball star and fifth round draft pick for the New York Knicks in 1980. Can you tell us a little bit about your basketball career and how that has impacted your career?
1: Well, I don't want to talk too much about it. it was a long time ago, but I will say, um, I was the captain of my college team for three years. I was, of course, the captain of my high school team, but um, being the captain of the team is it, it just, it's a leadership position. And that of course helps translate into the business world. The business world is filled with former successful athletes who become leaders in business. And it's simply because uh, of, of, of managing, leading, And actually doing, not just it's not coach, not just walking the walk. You got not talking the talk. You got to walk through. You got to do it, and you got to perform. So that also translates to the individual things that attorneys do in in fresher situations. Okay, negotiating, closing deals, making quick decisions, uh, making informed decisions based upon experience. So yes, that does translate into. Uh, helping me with what I do now, looking back on that. And I suspect that that even goes back further to just playing ball in the playgrounds and becoming a, becoming a, a good player. And then people start looking up to you. You can organize the teams. They look up to you to, uh, you know, to, uh, let, let me put it this way. The first I was working at a law firm in New York and um, we I played in the lawyers' league. And when you are the one guy on the team that played college ball, uh, it's usually, hey, Bill, you know you guard their best guy, you score our points, you get all the rebounds, and then kick it out to me, and I'll take a three point shot occasionally. And then afterwards we'll have beers. So that was all fun, okay? So there you go.
0: That's great. I, I like how you go back all the way to like the playground and and, and see how, you know, leadership starts there. I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about that and especially like in a forum like this. So I, I like thinking about that. I have small kids and um, I like thinking about um, the kinds of leaders they could be. Um, so when you look back across your career, who has made the biggest impact on you professionally?
1: Well, you know, I don't know if I could single out one person per se, but there is a gentleman, Jim McGrain. Jim McGrain was the really the founder of U.S. Express Leasing. And the reason I and Jim, uh, unfortunately, you know, passed away. Uh, gee, it's probably been now about uh, maybe eight, ten years. Uh, died tragically and unexpectedly. Jim had such a big heart people don't talk about that a lot in our business he was uh, just a, a a person who left a great impression upon everyone he worked with he just had that he had that talent jim Wilson was very strategic he like he liked organizational design he was a very good leader he believed in leadership and he believed in developing leaders And Jim was the first person whom I encountered in my professional career that put such an emphasis on that. And this was many, many years, this is 20 years ago. The whole cult of leadership, books written on leadership, uh, has really grown exponentially, I think, over the last 20 years. And Jim was in on that very early. Uh, Jim used to wanna take us on retreats and really focus on what it took to become a leader to translate into a successful business. And I'd have to say, I'm gonna give Jim a lot of credit for that. He's left a lasting impression on me. There have been many other people uh, who have helped me and I've been very fortunate. Um, I think there's a line from a song, it's a Bob Dylan song, I Shall Be Released, and where I think the line is, Anyway, I'm paraphrasing now. Uh, of every man and woman who put me here, I'm adding "and woman." It was written just. Uh, I'd like to thank all those people who have had a, a small part in my career, and I like to believe that I've taken the best, of everyone I've encountered with over the years, to really, bring me to where I am now.
0: That's beautiful. That's that's such a. A wonderful sentiment, and you're not the first person who has spoke so highly of Jim McGreen. Um, it's he sounds wonderful. during our um Converge Awards, we did a lot of research looking back across the industry of all these big players. And um, unfortunately, we weren't able to honor anyone who had passed away. But um, yeah, so many people speak so highly of him. So he must have been an amazing person. Yeah, he was. So how has the industry changed since you first joined it? How would you like to see it evolve in the future?
1: Well, from a technical standpoint, there, there is a, there's been a shift in, in, in financing hard equipment as the country has become more of a service-oriented company, uh, oriented co- uh, country the business has had to develop uh, ways to finance not only hard equipment, but software, um, services, ongoing products. Um, and so that's been a, a, just a natural parallel. Um, in the commercial equipment financing world, there has been an encroachment, and we're seeing it all the time now, of consumer type laws to protect at least smaller businesses. And you're seeing it in the disclosure laws in certain states right now. So, you know, I've seen that as well. Um, the um, The equipment industry grows with the economy. We're fortunate that the uh, America's economy has continued to, gr- to grow through some through ups and downs, it continues to be an upward trajectory. And the and the indus- and the industry has been in lockstep with it. And that's a really good thing too. It has never fallen by the wayside, it has continued to grow. Uh, that is an enhanced, I think, uh, the industry's position and when it wants to uh, advocate for certain bills in Congress. I think you know, if you asked them twenty five years ago, they wouldn't they wouldn't have known too much about the business. I think they've become more educated on it. So um, so I, I, I'd have to say that you know, we have grown and changed for the better as the country has in, in, in this space. And it's helped a lot of businesses grow.
0: That's great. So I have one last question for you. What advice would you give to leaders of tomorrow?
1: Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, beyond, beyond uh, well, um, John Wooden, the probably the greatest coach this country ever produced, the former UCLA basketball coach, had developed over a long time what he called the pyramid of success. The cornerstones, he believed, of success are enthusiasm and industriousness. And I tell that to particularly young, young professionals, you have to be enthusiastic about what you do. Even if you don't think it's that interesting when you first start a job, if you learn about it, you will become it will become interesting. And with enthusiasm, you can become successful. And industrious, the other the other cornerstone of the pyramid, is simply hard work. There's no substitute for that. So those, I would say, borrowing from John Wooden, enthusiasm and industriousness will take you a long way. And and, uh, being a good listener, let's throw that in there. So again, there's nothing too hard to achieve if, if you can just follow those simple things.
0: That's great advice. Bill, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been great having you on the podcast and congratulations on your, on your ICON award.
1: Thank you, Rita. It's been my pleasure.